we have such a great opportunity right now, I feel like, in the midst of all of this tension that we're going through as a society to see what it is God is doing in us. How He's reforming our church, the church, church in America. How He's using all of this brokenness to highlight a need for God. I see that in my neighborhood with people more and more. There's real opportunities that God's calling us to, but it does require, like that song talked about, for us to step out and trust Him in an unfamiliar place. God is calling us into unfamiliar places that are maybe makes us nervous, but that's exactly where our faith gives us the strength to take the next step, right? God never said that, our, that faith would mean we wouldn't have fear, but He said that faith is that God would be with us in the midst of whatever we're going through. Amen? God is good. Uh, I want to continue today. We're actually wrapping up our series um, called Christ in Us. It's looking at that idea that, that as we move forward as a church, our, our hope is in Christ working inside of us, working through us as a community. That our only hope to be able to rebuild our church or any church really is, is Christ in us. He is the hope of glory. It's not in us. It's not in our programs. It's not in the pastor. It's not in you. It is in Jesus Christ. But we have this great opportunity to come and, and reassess what does it look like for us to be in Christ? What does it look like for us to be the body of Christ together as a church? How can we help call one another to that as we, as we enter into whatever next phase of life that we're in? I have no idea, right? Governor Inslee says we're going to get masks taken off in March. The CDC just said we could technically be taking off our masks right now according to them. Don't take your mask off, but <laughs> but you know I don't know what's gonna happen, right? Like you know, and we we are, and I don't know if in uh, next winter they're gonna have to put the mask back on, and we're just talking about masks, right? There's much bigger things in our lives going on than these things, right? There's there's what's happening in Ukraine right now, and it reminds us that we're in a very broken world. That's the number one thing I think that is good. We've been kind of hit upside the head, and we have to. And we've had to recognize that the world is not a neutral place. That you can just create your life to, without God's help, and you can just build a playground for yourself to, that's Instagrammable and you know that's going to be so beautiful and awesome. And that is not the world. The world is not a neutral place. It is not your playground. It is a broken place. It's a broken place, and we have a real enemy. And he's been, and it's not. That's never. That's always been the case. It has always been a divisive place, a hurtful place, a place where, where we are being hurt and we are causing hurt. And God comes into that, has always been one who comes into that space of brokenness to bring redemption. But our temptation every single time is to say, I don't need your redemption, God. I will create my own redemption. Right? And I think more than ever now, we're starting to see a need for real redemption that comes from outside of us, that I don't have it within me. But I need God's help. That's what today we looked at that. How our first week we looked at how we are united to Jesus Christ. We're united to salvation because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The salvation comes from God. It comes from the outside into our life. It's Jesus defeating our giants, like David defeated defeated Goliath. That I don't have hope outside of what God is doing in the world and doing in my life. I have to trust Him. And then we looked the second week that we are united to our new identity in Christ, that we are in Christ. And so now we are the family of God. We are redeemed. We have been made righteous before God, that our sins have been taken away. 
We've been adopted into His family because of what Jesus Christ did for us. I have a secure identity. I don't have to go out and find an identity or create an identity or that I have to then protect. I don't have to find myself. I have myself in Jesus Christ in relationship with God. I've already been found by Jesus. And I get to be restored to be a child of God. And then last week we looked at how in Christ we are united to our destiny. But your destiny since the beginning of time has been to be an image bearer of God. To be someone who has not just the capacity to be like God, but that you're, you have His power and His glory flowing through you so that you can fill the earth with His character, His rule. We can make the world a place. The design was always to be make the place a world where humans can thrive. Where the earth can thrive. The, gar- the Eden, think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden saying, make this place fruitful and multiply it. The idea was literally that the garden, this perfect space, would literally spread over the earth as they had kids and as they built communities and as they cared for one another, that there would be this community building throughout all of human- like all of the world that would be encompassing the world in God's glorious presence through humans loving each other. We don't even know. There might have actually been, here's a weird theory, there could have been other humans that existed at the time. We don't even know. What we know is that God created Eden to be a space that would grow to help all of the world flourish. That is your purpose, is to help the world flourish. To bring order and love and grace. We talked about how that gives purpose to everything in your life, including cleaning your house. Right? Because when you clean your house, you're literally tending to the garden God gave you to make it be a place where humans can thrive. Because dysentery doesn't help people thrive. Right? You don't want your house to be a place of dysentery and scurvy. You want it to be a home of order and harmony and life and hospitality and love. And so everything you do at your workplace, in your home, with your family, with your kids, it, has, it is part of your destiny. You, are, you, are, you exist to use your gifts and capacities in and have that empowered by the Spirit of God to have that spread God's love everywhere you go. His character, His wisdom. Your life has destiny and purpose. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ. We, have been, we are being remade into the image of God through Jesus Christ, the perfect image bearer of God, who shows us that perfection and gives us the strength to live into it. This week, I want to talk about how the idea, so the series is, Christ in us. I want to talk about the us part today as we wrap it up. That Christ is in not just you, He's in us. When Americans hear about having a new identity and a new destiny, we still always think of it in terms of my identity and my destiny. But that is not what the Scriptures say. It is our identity and it is our destiny. And there is no way for us to fulfill our identity in Christ or our destiny in Christ by ourselves. It's always an us thing. It's always been an us thing. That you cannot become who God made you to be by yourself. Or like with you on your individual destiny project. No, it is a together destiny project. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. In that we only like there's only one body. There's not you as the body of Christ and you as the body. No, there's one body. None of us by ourselves can be the body of Christ. We can only be the body of Christ together. And what that means is that God, even if we think about this local church, this local church matters because God has a destiny and purpose for this specific local church 
to be a specific kind of embodying of Christ to this community. And so as we even make decisions like what are we going to do with our children's ministry or whatever that is, like in the future with Shauna retiring or whatever that might be, what we can say is that God has given this body the resources it needs to, to bring the love of Jesus Christ to this community and spread it to the wider community around us. And so we will make decisions saying, what resources has God given this body to care for itself and its kids and this community around it? We don't have to think in terms of like some other church or some other body of Christ. We're going to say, this, we have all of the resources we need with this group of people to bring healing and love here. And it will look different. Why? Because God has given this community a unique destiny and a unique purpose. And so we don't even have to feel pressure to become like some other church or some other group. You will become the body of Christ that Jesus Christ has called us to become. And we'll have all of the resources that we need to do that. But we have to make a choice in saying, am I going to be a part of that? Because it's not like that's just an automatic thing, right? It's, a, it's, it's something that we have the opportunity to do or the opportunity to fail miserably at. And God, by His Spirit, is going to help us press into that. And even as we fail, He will help us fail forward to become the body He wants us to be. So I want to look at that today. How do we, how do we bring some healing? Because like what, what, really what's happening is for us to be that family, I think we obviously can see that there's, there's, there's challenges to that. We, how do we go from being, uh, going from disconnection to connection, right? How do we go from there being tension to there being healing, right? And even as a wider society, how do we go from hostility and alienation to, to healing and being together? I mean, think about the, world, the way the world has become today. We have a new culture called cancel culture, right? And, and let's be all fair, sometimes people deserve to get canceled. Like, and, I, I, and I'm not saying like the per- people that are getting canceled deserve to get canceled, but Hitler deserves to get canceled, canceled, right? But there's actually an interesting study that shows that if an online discussion group, like the, it usually only takes like about, like about five, uh, five levels of comments or something like that, an argument in an online discussion group, before someone's calling someone Hitler online and canceling them. So you take a popular issue like, like environmentalism, like I'm not even trying to bring up controversial. People are fighting about it online. You give it just five or tiers down of that conversation and someone's Hitler and someone's getting canceled. Right? Getting dismissed. Think of that's, that's what our passage today is going to talk about. That's a spirit of, of alienation. A spirit of separation that we have that's created by the fall. That we, and we call it, can, it's, it, and obvious, even if there's some people that deserve to get canceled, think about it. We, we literally call it cancel culture, meaning there is something fundamental about American society that is alienated from one another and, isn't, and, and doesn't necessarily think it's a problem, right? Like there's no, nobody's, ha- nobody's like trying to do something about it, that it's just, it just is what it is. So, how do we recover? And I think Jesus has an answer, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ to create an alternative culture in the midst of our divisions and our separation and our political polarization and our cancel culture and all the ways in which we divide our, the, the, 
the, the racial tensions that we have, the economic tensions we have, the tensions we have between nations. Like God's plan is to create an alternative culture, an alternative society, an alternative humanity that would embody a different culture as image bearers to the world where people aren't canceled for, random, for having disagreements. Where people are embraced and brought close. It's to extend, and it's this culture would be where we allow Jesus to work in us to create a new culture through us. That is, the, that is our solution. The only solution to our alienation, to our separation, to our division, is to let Jesus work in us. To have some kind of healing in us. A healing in our hearts, a heart surgery to what's creating this cancel culture, this alienation, this separation, this hostility. There has to be a healing in Christ that allows that healing to then work through us to bring healing to our culture around us. Let's look today at that from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And I'm going to actually be mindful of the clock today. I'm going to call you because I want this to end a little early. So there's time at the end for the kids to stay downstairs if they want and for you to come into community and talk about this later if you would like. No pressure. So I just want to give space for that and preach a slightly shorter sermon. <laughs> so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of, of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. This is powerful. He's going to talk first about our problem of why we have division, which we've already started a bit. He's going to talk about the solution to our problem, and he's going to talk about the result of once we receive God's solution, what happens in our life. First, the problem. The problem, he says, which we've already introduced, is hostility. It is alienation. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the, hand, by the hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What he's talking about here is this problem that, that, that for various reasons, we create walls that God has torn down. Like God's design for us was to have to, that there would not be a world of insiders and outsiders. He's saying he's talking to the Gentiles here, and he's saying you once were outsiders, meaning like that God had created the covenant people Israel. They were God's insiders. They were meant to be a light to the Gentiles, though instead of becoming a light to the Gentiles, it did what humans in the fall always do: we create walls, we create separation. We find a way to be proud of ourselves and our group and to create a wall that makes enemies out there that make, our group, make us feel better about ourselves, to say our group is better. Think about the Olympics. And from a Christian standpoint, in some ways, I mean, why you can be proud of being American, there's something kind of ridiculous that we somehow think our country is better than other countries, and we proved it at the Olympics. As if there's something better about it. It's, I mean, if you think about that, that is at very core is a symptom of potentially going to something called nationalism or something called racism. That, that my race is inherently better or my nation is inherently better. As a Christian in Christ, it's kind of a little bit ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying you should be proud to be American. We can't have fun and root for Americans and all these things. But it's a symptom of this, I'm, I'm the insider and you're the outsider. These dividing walls of hostility, he says, that we put up. And the Jews literally did this. They made a temple that wasn't the ordained temple that had extra walls. Right? The idea was that the Gentiles could come to the temple to worship the Lord, but they kept putting up extra walls so that women had to be in this section and the Gentiles could only come this far. Right? And, and then Jesus comes into this and what does He say? He says, like, look, this was supposed to be a house of worship for all nations and you've made it a den of thieves. Right? There's a... This, they, they added walls that God didn't put up. They added barriers of hostility. God asked them to be a, a light to the nations, and instead they, and, and He gives them the law to the, so that they could be better human beings. What do they do? No, they use the law to say, now we have the truth and you don't. We're better from you. Our law says that you're just a bunch of dogs and, 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 and you know, lawbreakers, and you're all going to hell. And so they say, they literally, this Jewish man prays this righteous prayer and he says, thank God I am not a woman or, or a slave or, or, or a Gentile. That didn't seem to be God's design when He created Adam and Eve. And a place for the thriving for all people to have pride in my, my gender, to have pride in my economic status to have, that I was actually born into. And to have pride in my race that I was also born into by lucky chance? To have pride that God happened to choose Israel out of all the nations and God, and it says in their own word, their own law, that He didn't choose them because of anything special about them. And yet, they make themselves special and make other people outsiders. And this is, this is what we do. This is part of the fall. We put up dividing walls of hostility. We have much different ones today, don't we, though? Right? We have, we have these walls where we think of ourselves because I picked myself up by the bootstraps that I'm better than those other people who didn't pick them up by the bootstraps. Right? We have these walls that go like, 
that, that go like, because I'm a good athlete, that, I, that, that now I can have pride in that and I can make fun of those who are awkward and, and gangly. Or we have this idea, we, we go through high school, right? You see the walls all up in high school, right? You, it's called the lunch tables. There's the dividing walls of hostility between lunch tables. I don't know what it was like. I don't know what they are today. Sorry, young people. When I was a kid, there was like the and kids are putting pride in being the pretty kids, or people are putting pride in being the jocks and the athletic kids, or pe- people are putting pride in being the theater kids, or whatever it might be. But you have your walls, and you end up finding a way to say our group is better than that group, so because it makes me feel better about myself, and it helps. And it's pride. It's of me saying, I have to make my own righteousness because I'm not in relationship with God and His righteousness. I have not accepted His forgiveness and His way of righteousness. So I have to find a way to establish my righteousness. And the easiest way to do that is to create an enemy. To create a, I'm a good person and you're a bad person. We see this happening so acutely right now through politics in the last two years. So the political polarization that's happening in our country right now. Here's some surveys that are remarkably scary. So one survey says that 73% of Americans now say Republicans and Democrats don't agree on basic facts. Now that's probably not a surprise to you. Here's where it starts to get more scary. One in five Americans are willing to justify violence if their opponents win elections now. One survey by political science Liliana Mason and Nathan Colomo shows that 60% of voters, and this is, by the way, they're, they're surveying Republicans and Democrats, people who are independents, and they're saying the opposing party or parties, they're talking about that. So if you're a Democrat, they're saying, the, you know, what, this is what, a statement about the Republicans. If you're a Democrat, or if you're a Republican, the statement about Democrats. But 60% of voters think members of the other party party constitute a threat to America. More than 40% would call them evil. And 20% think that they are animals. The U.S. has become this place of, of hostility, right? Open hostility towards the opposing party. Where it's where we are now not we are now being motivated not through loyalty to our party but hate of the other party, right? That one, J.T. Thomas, a pastor who's uh, done research on this, says that everyone's on a path to radicalization. There's an article about the psychology of enemies that shows why we do this a little bit. Get into this. This is a scientific article, and it talks about how in our brain, when we are lonely and we are scared, we find a way to latch onto a tribe to help us feel secure and get a sense of the world. But what's happening is usually that has a, we, a good sense of tribe is, a, is loyalty to your tribe and love for your tribe, and you can have a way in which you're not hating the other tribes, right? But we are now on a, what, we, what they call toxic tribes because now you form your tribe based on hating the other tribes, basically. And, they, and what happens is that when you have an enemy it actually makes you feel better for a little while. That creating an enemy makes, gives you a false sense of security and purpose, and it helps you, and they say it helps you to not have to actually deal with your own stuff, right? 
Because it's, the problem in the world is not me now. I don't have to deal with my stuff. The problem in the world is them and their stuff. So it allows me to not to make it. I get all focused on the problem is them, not me. So I now have. A, I don't. Have, I can feel a little bit out of my loneliness, out of my hurt. I, I'm out of my loneliness now because I have a tribe that hates this tri- other tribe. I have a sense I can get out of my loneliness and my pain because now I'm distracted from it, thinking about them being the problem, that they created the problems in my life. I didn't create the problems in my life. In the Christian world, what we're saying is that it gives you a sense that you don't have to face your shame. That when you have an enemy, you don't have to face your own guilt and you don't have to face your own shame. And this isn't anything new. This political polarization that we're talking about here, this has just been part of the fall since the beginning of putting up walls of hostility. And here's the thing, Jesus Christ came to tear these walls down and to bring healing that it would start that this polarization that, and it really has affected our church. It makes me quite sad the way I've seen it affect our church. I don't know all the ways it's affected our church, but it's pretty obvious. And I, the place of healing, Jesus has come to us to bring us healing. Give us, give us the power to heal in the midst of this divided world that we are in. And to have a way of where I can be healed and I can find the humility to to, to deal with my stuff and I can come to the community and I can say I'm sorry or I can come to the community and say I was wrong or I can come to the community and say you hurt me or I can come to the community I think you're really wrong about this and it makes me mad that we can find a way to find actually get the resources that we need to start finding reconciliation in our church. That we might be a community of reconciliation to the world which sees these divisions and sees these problems but has no solutions. The solution, what Jesus is going to say, is the cross. It says in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He says by His blood, He's saying, by His flesh, but He's talking about his, Him taking our sins upon Himself in His flesh, the penalty for all the ways in which I have been prideful and rebelled from God that I've made my own kingdom where I'm the right and wrong and I get to decide who's good and who's bad. He takes that sin on Himself and then He sheds that life, that blood on the cross, giving His life on our behalf. And He says by doing that, He says by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances, that's talking about the way we use laws to, to divide ourselves. I made a new law, and it was the law of Christ, is what he's saying. The law of grace, that I need forgiveness in Christ. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He's saying he's creating a new one, a new kind of human in Jesus Christ. One new kind of human. I love that. Not not an inf- not like every one of us is a new kind of human. There's only one new kind of there's one new kind of human in Jesus Christ. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So here he talks about the solution, the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us. That is, it is only by healing 
our separation from God, that He can heal our separation with one another. It is only by healing the pride and the sin in me that he can, God can heal the way that pride has affected my relationship with other people. That the healing starts between me and God and, and in my heart, and then it spreads out into the world around me as we realize that now in Christ, I've been forgiven and I've received the Spirit, so that means that I have no other reason to, to look at other people and treat them like outsiders, that, I am now, that we are now miraculously all insiders in Jesus Christ, and there are no more outsiders. There's only insiders in Jesus Christ and those that we are drawing, not seeing as an enemy, but seeing as one who is an estranged family member who is always, that God's goal has always been to bring them to the table and bring them to the family. That we are all humans. Every one of us is a human being in need of grace and transformation. All of us. Every human. Like he, what he's saying is that, that when he talks about Jesus first, he says, think about how beautiful this is. He says, Jesus is our peace. See, this starts because Jesus comes to be the Prince of Peace. He makes a way for peace with the world. That we think about the, the, the scariness of what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening around the world. That the only way that this will ever be healed is to recognize that Jesus has the only kingdom of peace. He's the only Prince of Peace. Because there's another ruler in the world that wants to divide the world and make it divided and make it about your country or make it about your race or make it about your economics or make it about you, how good you are, or whatever it is. He doesn't care. He just wants to find you to a way to make it about not being in God's kingdom. Not being a part, not, not recognizing Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Not recognizing that, he, that He's our source of salvation. He'll let you be in any other kingdom you want to be. He'll encourage it. That Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. That He came to make peace. He's talking about Jesus coming as the only person of peace that ever existed. That we look at Jesus, He is our peace. He is peace. Look at the way He lived His life. He came, and when, and when people were divided, what does He do? He says, look, we all need healing. We all, we all need healing. He, looks, he confronts the Pharisees for the way they are separating and dividing people because they're creating a world of haves and have-nots and in and out. And He says, look, only the sick need a doctor, so I've come to heal the sick. And it's a, it's a condemnation of them because they think they aren't sick and don't need God to heal them. The world is only really divided between people who recognize they need God to heal them and those that are blinded to the fact they need God to heal them. And how would you treat someone who's blind to the fact they need healing? Do you hit them over the head and say you're better than them? No, you help them see that they are sick and need a cure. And I was sick, and I needed a cure, and I'm no better. That we are all humanity needing to be forgiven and healing. Jesus came to be that peace, to bring th thriving, to bring that word peace means shalom. It doesn't mean just literally the cease from striving, it means to create space that where humans are thriving the way they were always meant to thrive. It's to bring liberty to captives. It's to help people find a way to be able to thrive in life. It's to love people and to serve people. It's to sit down and, 
and have hospitality with one another, to care for people. It's to look at people who aren't included and to help them feel included. It's a space where people can find economic freedom and the way, a way to find jobs and to find, to find a place to be able to thrive. It's to look at refugees and not see them as outsiders, but to see them as insiders. It's to see, it's to see, it's to see the whole world and say, how do we help everyone thrive in relationship with God and one another? Jesus is the Prince of Shalom. He's the prince of human thriving. And he came to defeat the kingdom of the enemy, which is a kingdom of division and hostility that holds people in captivity to their sin and to thinking that they have to form their own righteousness by creating enemies and outsiders. Because he was the first one to do it. To say, I don't need you, God. And so I will create a rival kingdom and I will call you my enemy, God. And he's inciting us all into that rebellion of insiders and outsiders. And Jesus came to defeat him. And Jesus defeats this division and this hostility through the cross. Because at the cross, we recognize that it's, the, that it's this dividing place. Are you going to realize that you need for, forgiveness, that you are sick and you need healing, and it can only happen through God's intervention in your life? That's what the cross does. It is a way of saying all of us need forgiveness. It's so like it's not like it's not like there's the the bad people out there like like the Hitlers of the world, the murderers, the prostitutes, the the, the embezzlers, the the racists. They need the cross, but the rest of us we don't really need the cross. No, all of us need the cross. It's like the human situation is so bad that God had to come Himself and do it for us on our behalf, and He had to die on a cross for us. Like how do you? That, that heals that pride when we recognize we all needed to be forgiven. And it wasn't just a little forgiveness. Like, everybody makes mistakes, like Taylor Swift says. No, we all destroy shalom. We all have rebelled against God. Who's the, who, we've, all, we've all hurt people. We've all created insiders and outsiders and created a world of division and brokenness. And we all need God to bring healing to our life. All of us. And so now if we all come to the cross and we find forgiveness only on the base of the cross and we accept Him by faith, think about what, and that creates a new humanity now where there is no place for pride. Think about it. That you can come to this community and you could have been, you know, living your life on the cray-cray or you could have been living your life as some morally righteous person that everybody looks up to and says you're a good person. But both people equally need the cross. And so when you come into this community, there's no longer any pride to say, that person's in, that person's out, this person's good, this person's bad. We are all equal. That when we look in the, in the church, someone who has, been, who has maybe been unfaithful with their life and they come to the cross, they are just as righteous as me now in Jesus Christ who has maybe a little bit more faithful in life. We all need Jesus Christ. And so Jesus shatters the pride that makes outsiders and gives us a new way to think about insiders and outsiders that forever changes the way you relate to people through Jesus Christ. That now we can see we're all, all sinners who need grace. That we now, he says, he talks, he talks about us now becoming a, a temple that we now all have equal access to God. That we all have the Holy Spirit filling us that heals, that comes into our life and heals that fragile sense of self and pride that created the walls in the first place. 
So we've been healed through the cross of Jesus. And the result is that now there is a new human community. There is a new creation that we call the church. That it is a new, it is a literally a, something, Jesus created something at the time the world had never seen before, he says. When he talks about it being new, creating a new man, the word there is to create something new of a whole kind. Like, let's say you had an old truck, we would say, and then you say to someone, I got a new truck. What you mean is you got an you a, a updated version of your truck, right? It's fresh. No one else has driven it. We'll even say I got a new truck if you bought a new truck. And you're just saying it's new to me. What he's saying is of a whole new kind that no, the world has never seen. That the church is now this place that is a new kind of humanity, a new kind of community that the world had never seen before because it's a place where people of all nations and all races and all economic status, where men and women, that we are all now brought level to the need for God's grace, but in God's grace we have all become this glorious family that's God's presence in the world. The world had never seen anything like that. A place where everyone's literally welcome to become family, even though they have nothing in common before they came to this family. A world where people who used to kill one another can now come and find healing and stop killing each other and instead build life in the world. A world where there is not about borders and protecting your borders or about your money and protecting your money or your house and protecting your house but it's about God's house and expanding His love and His grace to the end of the world. Amen? He calls us now in Christ. He says we're fellow citizens. That we're no longer a citizen of America or Ukraine or Russia or wherever it is that now in Christ you are a new creation. You are not primarily an American or a Canadian or a Mexican or whatever it is. That you are a new citizen. You are primarily now a Christian, a citizen of heaven. He doesn't eradicate my culture and the, the fact that I might have some things I like about my culture, but he's saying that you have a new, you're part of a new allegiance to a new king. That I'm here now not to spread the culture of America. I'm here to spread the culture of heaven, the kingdom of God. That he says now that we are members of God's household. He said I've created a new family. Is what he's saying. That it's not primarily about what's best for my family as my biological family, but God's made us a part of an eternal spiritual family that's a radical new creation, and that is called the family of God. That we are children of God. That we are brothers and sisters for all of eternity. So that person in the church that you don't like, that is your brother or sister in Christ for all of eternity. You are joined together. You really are actually stuck together. So it's like you might as well figure it out, right? I was, I was watching this. That just reminded me of, I was watching, there's a scene in a, the, the show Yellowstone where, the, there, where the, there's a Native American woman married to one of the main character's sons. And they're separated. And he talks about how when they got married, she, she, his, her, the Native American daughter's uh, woman's father is talking to her and saying, like when you got married, you were joined to one another for eternity. So you can separate, but you are going to be married together in heaven. That's what he says. You're going to be married together in the afterlife. So he says, honey, you probably want to figure out how to make it work. 
<laughs> you probably want to learn how to get along with one another. It's such a beautiful picture. I thought that it just makes, reminds me of the church that, that, you know what, we really are going to be together in eternity with one another. It would be a good thing to figure out how to get along with each other now. How to love each other. To show grace to each other. To how to heal our wounds and our heart hurts. It's not that there aren't real wounds maybe or real hurts but a way to be able to come together and find healing because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a more permanent reality than the, than the reality of your biological family. Because it's a, a spirit bond. It's a bond in the Holy Spirit that will last for eternity. And it was created not through procreation, but it was created through Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. And us becoming one new humanity in Him. It's a powerful bond. And God wants us to live like we're bonded to each other because we are. And then he goes on and he says something even more radical. He says that we're now stones of a new temple. He says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone. And the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That we now are literally the dwelling place of God on earth. He says we're so close together because what are we? He says, think about how the, the, the connection, the intimacy of these things gets closer and closer and closer. Because I can be a citizen in a country and not know people very well. But when you become family, you get closer. And then he says that we are literally stones being actually joined into one temple. That we are one with each other. That we are living stones literally connected. That together in unity, we now are the dwelling place of God on earth. It's not, I could give a whole sermon on how radical that statement is. That the intersection between heaven and earth is the church of Jesus Christ joined together in unity, serving one another and serving the world around us for the glory of Jesus Christ. That we are the dwelling place of God. And it's, it's, I find it interesting that we have debates about whether or not you can be a Christian and go to church. Or whether or not, you know, going on Sunday, how much does that really matter? We are the church of Jesus Christ on earth. And only through our unity with one another do we display the presence of God on earth. We need to have a different kind of conversation. How are we going to be a community that displays the glory of Jesus Christ? It's not about how we preach sermons or how we sing songs or how we take care of the kids. That is not our primary concern. Our primary concern is how do we love one another? How do we forgive one another? How, do we, how are we going to be together and care for each other and show the world that there is a community that exists where there are no more walls? There's nothing more important than this. I know we don't always live up to this, and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody because it only happens by grace. And coming, I think about what are we going to do as a church in the next coming months when we think about this. 
it seems like we have to, first of all, bring to light the fact that there actually is hostility. And we can't pretend like everything's okay. There has to be a way of saying, I feel like there's a distance between us. Maybe it's not hostility. That's probably a harsh way to say. Like, I feel like you hate me. But to say, there's separation. Maybe it's imagined by the pandemic. There's some of that for sure. Like, I just haven't seen you for two years. Maybe you still love me. I don't know. But I haven't seen you for two years. Are we still together? But I think there's also political division in our church. I think there's hostilities created by the political divide in our country. And we have to come and, say, and name it for what it is and say, can we find healing in the midst of our disagreement? Can we both lay down our pride and recognize that we need healing? We both equally need healing in Jesus Christ if we're going to find forgiveness and grace with one another? Do we have that? Can we come together and say we have the same foundation? Notice actually, this is very important because he says the foundation of this building is, the, is Jesus Christ and the apostles and prophets. What that's saying is that our foundation for rebuilding is recognizing that if we're going to find healing, it happens by trusting in our common truth, which is Jesus Christ and the Scriptures that He's given us. When He says the foundation of the apostle prophets, that's shorthand for the, for the teachings of the apostles and prophets, which we have laid down in what we call the New Testament. There is a way, there is a way of saying like the only way, the, the only way to work together is to find a common source of what's true. That it's not what's on the news or whatever it is or our, our politics. That our primary source of truth is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. I'm not talking about finding... Though can we come together and say, like, hey, we need to look to, the, to Jesus and His Word as a source of truth and life. And I'm not talking about debates about secondary things. I'm talking about core foundational things. That we're in Christ together. We can find forgive, we can forgive one another. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. We can come together and we can sort out what we're supposed to do as a church. We don't, but we don't primarily go to like, what do you think we should do as a church? And what do you think? And what do you think? We go to God's word. What does God's word say we are? And then we say, hey, how are we going to live that out together as a community? Not what this other church is doing, not what you feel like we should be doing. Primarily we say, what does God's word say we should be doing? Then how do we find creative ways to do that with the gifts? and the talents, and the body of Christ that we have here, right? To get past saying like it has to look this, like the next door neighbor church. Amen? We have to find a way to find forgiveness and unity through the cross and what we have common in common in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, we're going to sing now to think about that. I want there to be some healing. I pray that this would, as we think about what God has done, you would be asking the Holy Spirit, how can I contribute to that process? That we need to bring division to the light? We need to bring that separation, that feeling of separation. Maybe I need to go to someone. Maybe I need to talk to someone. Maybe I need to confess my sin to someone. Maybe I need to go to my brother or sister I have a problem with. Whatever it might be. How, how, what does it look like for you to be a part of bringing the problem to light? What does it look like for you in your life to, to forgive someone in the name of Christ right now? Do you need to go talk to them about it first? Do you need to recognize? Do you need, do you need, to, do you need, to, do you need to have some time this week just to like recognize who Jesus is and what He's done for you to find the humility? You know, rec- it could be a really 
heartfelt thing to say, I have pride in my heart. I don't want to forgive because I think I'm better than these outsiders in my life. How have we contributed to that in our own life? And three, how are we going to work towards unity and what we have on common? How are we going to come together and start working together to build the church that Jesus Christ has created here? I put the, leave those things on your heart as we sing together and worship Jesus for what he's done. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our community, Lord. I pray that you would help us to find healing in you, Jesus. I pray that you would help bring us together in Christ. We want to confess that there is unity in you, Lord Jesus. That you are a good Savior, Lord God. That you have torn down these walls of the, of the, that, we've, that we've erected. They've already been torn down. The walls of politics, the walls of, of race, the walls of nationalism, the walls of of sin and death, Lord God, the walls of building our own righteousness, all of those things have already been torn down in You, Lord Jesus. Help us to no longer erect those walls, to no longer see people as insiders or outsiders as good or bad, but to see us all as people in need of Your grace and Your forgiveness, Lord God. Help us to build Your church that it might be a beautiful display of Your grace and Your love to the world, Lord God. Help us to recognize that we already are your church. That we've already been joined together into your holy temple, Lord God. I pray you would help us by your grace to find a way to live that out, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.